So what we're going to be talking about, as I said, is, is imagination. Um, is it okay? Is it okay for Christians to imagine or to use imagination? Do you dare to imagine that what God said he will do for you is true and real? Do you dare imagine that? Do you dare, dare imagine that what God has promised you or the prayers that you have out there, uh, do you dare imagine that God could answer those prayers? Should we as Christians use our imaginations? You will most likely disagree if you associate the imagination with delusion, fancy, the occult, you know, and or any kind of make-believe. Make Faith, however, is an act of the imagination. And a healthy, vibrant imagination is crucial. It's something that is crucial to the Christian life. Christian belief is quite concerned with facts. Okay? Christian life, Christianity is concerned with facts. After all, we follow the one, we follow Jesus, whose name is truth. So we must be committed completely and unwaveringly to the truth, not led astray by fantasy and illusion. Okay? Not led astray by fantasy and illusion. The trustworthiness of the Christian message is grounded in historical fact. As an example, the very real event of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Let's go to 1 Corinthians. Go to 1 Corinthians. Again, as usual, we must always rely on the word of God when, when, uh, when building, building a point or especially in exploring new areas. Uh, we have to see where the word of God supports what it is that we're saying. Okay, very real, real event of Jesus' resurrection from the dead. Christianity is based on, on fact. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Okay, we have to realize that, it, that it's based on fact because otherwise it's kind of, you know, it, it, it's a futile point. It's futile, a practice in futility for us to even be Christians or to call ourselves Christians. If the, if the fact that Jesus was crucified and resurrected took upon us, took upon him our sins, you know, if that is not for real, then uh, we have a problem. So looking at, just starting with verse number 12, 115, 12. Now if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then is Christ not risen? And if Christ not be risen, then is our preaching in vain, and your faith also is in vain. Yea, and we are, are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, when he raised, uh, when he, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain. You are yet in your sins. Then they also who are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man also came, uh, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. 
For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. All right. So we see here that what the, what is being said here is that if if Christ did not die and was not resurrected, then everything that we preach about is all in vain. It, it's all it's all it's, it's it's a waste of time. Okay. As a matter of fact, we are probably a people that should be pitied because we're following after some some fantasy. Fortunately, we have solid historical reasons to trust the testimony of the gospel writers that Jesus was indeed raised from the dead. That means our faith is reasonable, grounded firmly in fact and reality. Okay, so so far what we're saying here is that our faith based on the things that we know the infallible proof that Jesus did die and was resurrected we know that to be a fact. Whether or not our faith makes sense has been a topic of major discussion for many Christians, especially here in American for the, America for the last uh, several generations. Theologians have worked hard to collect scientific and historical evidence that supports Christian claims of truth. All right? We know for a fact you can read things on the internet or wherever you might be, where every now and then they'll turn up you know, a thing of bones or whatever it might be, and they'll say, see, this supports the faith. Okay, so, so people are constantly looking for hard and fast ways to prove the faith by physical evidence, okay, so that they can reason and say, okay, not only do I have faith, but this also proves it, okay, by this box of bones or by these scriptures, these, 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 um, uh, this papyrus that I'm reading from, it backs up and it proves the, the, the claims of truth. We've developed complex and compelling arguments in defense of the faith. This research is geared to provide, now listen now, it's geared to provide intellectual support for Christian belief. Alright, it's geared to provide intellectual support for Christian belief, and it is indeed important work. Okay, but the, and the intellect seems to always demand proof of supporting evidence of spiritual realities of faith. So what I'm saying here is that, and what was shown to me, is that we have faith... But we are constantly looking for physical evidence to support that faith. All right? And as I said, there have been discussions. I mean, you can go on the Internet and find, find countless arguments and debates over whether or not something in the Bible is true. You know, I mean, the whole thing with creation and whether or not um, uh, through the Big Bang, you know, the, the evidence that the earth, you know, is 15 billion years old and therefore could not have, have come into existence the way the Bible explains it. You know, they're always looking for something to back up, to back up the truth. So with this imagination and being a part of faith as two very important um, co-partners, if you will, that's what we want to look at today. So let's go to Judges 7. Judges 7. Judges chapter 7. Judges chapter 7. See, and, these, and this is one of the, you know, one of these, some of the arguments that we get into with non-believers always is that they want some proof. They want you to be able to spout off some proof that backs up your, your claims based on the word of God. You know, it isn't sufficient to simply say, well, God said so and so. I mean, you've heard the old argument, you know, can you prove that there's a God? You know, can you, can you prove that there's a God? Well, yes, yes we can, but I won't digress into how we can. But let's, let's go to Judges, uh, Judges 7. And start with number one. Then, then Jeroboam, who is Gideon, and all the people who were with him, rose up early and encamped beside the well of Herod, so that the host, host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Moreh in the valley. And the Lord said to Gideon, 
The people who are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands. Lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hand have saved me. Okay, in other words, God does not want them to get into a thing of self-works. Okay, because there's so many people, you know, if, 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 you, had, if you were going up against one guy, one thug in your neighborhood, you know, and you had 3,000 people in your neighborhood going after this guy and you subdue him, then you're going to say, we subdued him. Why? Because there's so many of us. <laughs> you subdued him. Okay. So God is saying that there's too many of you. Okay. Unless Israel vaunt themselves against me saying, my own hand save me. Now therefore, verse 3, go proclaim in the hearing of the people saying, whoever is fearful and afraid, let him return and depart early from Mount Gilead. And there returned of the people twenty and two thousand, and there remained ten thousand. And the Lord said unto Gideon, the people are yet still too many. Bring them down into the water. And I will test them for thee there. And it shall be that of whom I say unto thee, this shall go with thee, the same shall go with thee. And of whomever I say unto thee, this shall not go with thee, the same shall not go. So he brought down the people unto the water. The Lord said unto Gideon, everyone who laps of the water... Uh, with his tongue as a dog lappeth, him shalt thou set by himself. Likewise, everyone who boweth down upon his knees to drink. And the number of them who lapped, putting their hand to their mouth, were three hundred men. But all the rest of the people bowed down upon their knees to drink water. And the Lord said unto Gideon, By the three hundred men who lapped will I save you. By the 300 men, underline that, by the 300 men who lapped will I save you and deliver the Midianites into thine hand and let all the other people go, every man unto his place. Okay? So God is saying only 300 men against the whole Midianite army. Verse 8. So the people took provisions in their hand and their trumpets and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man unto his tent and retained those 300 men and the host of Midian was beneath him in the valley. And it came to pass the same night that the Lord said unto him, Arise, get thee down unto the host, for I have delivered it unto, into thine hand. But if thou fear to go down, go down with Pura, thy servant, down to the host. And thou shalt hear what they say, and after it shall thine hands be strengthened to go down unto the host. Then went he down with Pura, his servant, into the outermost part of the armed men who were in the host. Who were in the house. Now what God is saying, babe, just so we understand that. God is saying, saying, I want you, just to show you, I want you to go down into the middle of this army. If, you, if, you, if you, you're weak need, you, you, if you're lily-livered, take along your servant, Pura. Okay? But go down into the host. Verse 12. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the children of the east lay along in the valley like grasshoppers for multitude, and their camels were without number as the sand by the seaside for multitude. There were a whole lot of people in this army. And when Gideon was come, behold, there was a man who told a dream unto his fellow and said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and lo, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the host of Midian and came unto a tent and smote it that it fell and overturned it that the tent lay flat. And his fellow answered and said, This is nothing else except the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel, for into his hand hath God delivered Midian and all the host. So in other words, he's gone down and he's heard these two Midianite soldiers talking one to the other. This one Midianite soldier is saying, I had this dream. 
He's talking about this, you know, this barley loaf, etc., etc. And the other fellow is coming back and he's interpreting his dream. He says, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, that's from that God of Israel. Okay, God's going to deliver us, the Midianites, into Israel. Okay, now, in the meantime, now Gideon is overhearing this conversation. God sent him down there for a reason, all right? Verse 15. And it was so, when Gideon heard the telling of the dream, and the interpretation thereof, that he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel, and said, Arise, for the Lord has delivered into your hand the host of Midian. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. Now please put a bracket around uh, verse 15, where it said, It was so when Gideon heard the telling of the dream and interpretation that he worshipped and returned into the host of Israel. Okay, arise, for the Lord has delivered into, into uh, your hand the host of Midian. And he divided the hundred men into three companies, and he put a trumpet in every man's hand with empty pitchers and lamps within the pitchers. And he said unto them, Look on me and do likewise and behold When I come to the outside of the camp It shall be that as I do So you shall do When I blow with the trumpet and all that are with me Then blow you the trumpets also on every side of all the camp And say the sword of the Lord and of Gideon So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him Came into the outside of the camp in the beginning in the middle watch And they had, uh, they had but um, newly set the watch And they blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers that were in their hands And the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the pitchers And held the lamps in their left hands And the trumpets in their right hands with which to blow And they cried the sword of the Lord and of Gideon. And they stood every man uh, in this place round about the camps uh, camps, and all the host ran and cried and fled. And the three hundred blew the trumpets and the Lord set every man's sword against his fellow even throughout all the host. And the host fled to to Beth Shittah in Zerah and to the border of Abemelah unto Tabath. Okay? And the men of Israel gathered themselves together out of Naphtali out of Asher, out of all of Manasseh and pursued after the Midianites. Gideon sent messengers throughout all Mount Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and take before them the waters unto Beth Barah and the Jordan. Then all the men of Ephraim gathered together and took the waters unto uh, Beth Barah and the Jordan. And they took two princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb, and they slew Oreb upon the rock. Um, Oreb and Zeb they slew at the winepress of, of Zeb and pursued Midian and brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon on the other side of the Jordan. Okay, so they were victorious. Now, what do we see happening here? All right. God spoke to Gideon and said, you're going to take this, this land. But however, you're not going to do it with these 3,000 people. You're going to reduce it down to 300 men. God knew that Gideon still did not quite believe him, that Gideon was nervous. So God said, I want you to go down to the camp. Go right down into the midst of it. He snuck down there into the camp and he overheard the two Midianites talking. Okay, and how... The Midianite was interpreting the dream saying that Gideon and Israel were going to be successful. Then Gideon was upheld. Then he felt he could accomplish the task. Why couldn't he simply believe what God had told him in the beginning? You see? So, so many times in our lives when God tells us something, there's something that we're praying for, there's something that we're hoping for, there's some direction that we're looking for. God may tell us, this is what I'm going to do for you, but we still wind up looking for some sort of um, confirmation. Give me some physical proof that I'm going to be able to do this. Okay? Gideon could not imagine, he could not use his imagination to believe what God said 
was going to happen. That this little measly band of 300 people was going to take over this huge Midianite army. Okay? So it wasn't until he heard um, what was being oversaid, what what we overheard what was being said, that now he felt bolstered in his spirit and had enough strength, you know, and and fortitude to go forth. Alright? And then what did God use to to do to to, um, um, make uh, Gideon overcome the situation? He turned the Midianite army against themselves. He, he caused pure chaos to come in. By them blowing the trumpets and breaking these clay pitches, and when there was so much noise going on, they were surrounded. The Midianites probably thought there were a lot more men than the 300. All right, a lot more men than the 300. And they wound up killing each other, and there was total chaos there. And Gideon wound up, wound, and Israel wound up being, being victorious. Okay? So what does that tell us? That tells us if we do things the way God tells us to do them, that we will be victorious. Many times those plans or issues that are being being propagated against you or being plotted against you, God can bring confusion to the minds of those people. You know, and I've seen that happen. I have literally seen that happen in 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 a courtroom. Okay? When someone was called to testify and when that person was testified, he was totally... Just totally confused, totally confused, where everything ruled in our favor. Everything, okay? So I've seen God get in there and do that, you see? So we, though, have to get to the point now that when God tells us something, that we can imagine that the outcome is going to be the way that God said it would be, all right? And not start looking for, give me some substantial proof, okay, that what you're telling me, God, is, is going, to, going to do for me. The scripture says that, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit is the work of the Lord accomplished. You can go 9,000 ways trying to figure out how to accomplish something in your life. It's not by might, not by power, but by my spirit is the work of the Lord accomplished. Few stories illustrate that principle more clearly than what happened with Gideon and the army of 300. God wants prepared men to fight his battles with his weapons in his way, you see. So whatever's going on in your life, whatever challenges are going on in your life, you have to figure out how is it that God is seeing this happen? What is the outcome of this? And now, can I put my mind in the state of actually imagining the outcome to be the way God said it would be? Amen? God said you're going to have a new house, you imagine that new house. God said he's going to get that promotion, you imagine that promotion. God said he's going to send you to a different location to to continue doing whatever you're doing, you imagine yourself being in that location. You see, don't go putting in yourself in in all sorts of stumbling blocks, thinking about how big the Midian army might be that's against me, or about all of those things that might be be, uh, hindering my from uh, from me being victorious in what God is telling me to do. We want to offer God our strength and our weapons and our insight, but he does not need them. God doesn't need your strength. He doesn't need your insight. You need him. You need him. Okay? Gideon on his best day, I guarantee you, could not have figured out a plan to go down and defeat that Midianite army. I guarantee you. You know, it, it, it said they were like grasshoppers. There were so many of them. It said their chariots were without number. And so on. There was a huge army. No way could have any man strategized against what can we do to overcome this Midianite army. You know, speaking more in today's terms and whatnot, and, and, and look at look at what's going on in, in politics. And, and and I'm getting at this because the politics today's politics has to do with the outcome of this country, and the outcome of this country should be based on biblical on, on biblical norms and whatnot. Um, where it's to the point where, frankly, and my wife and I have talked about this countless times, where I have literally given it to God. 
I am totally convinced that not, no, no man or woman that winds up getting into office is going to bring this country to where God wants it to be. Amen? So with that said, you know, and my feeling totally helpless, because there's nothing that I can really do about it. I mean, yeah, we can all vote, but the bottom line is we got to give it to God. Okay? Okay, that the future of this nation for our children and our grandchildren is in God's hands. You know, so we need to make sure how we're praying, and we pray that the other saints that are in this country will bind together and be led by Holy Spirit to do the right thing. Amen? Amen? So, 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 so I, I can't save this nation, personally, I mean, in terms of leading an army. I don't believe that any, whoever is elected into office personally, is going to be 100% everything that we need in this country. So therefore, it's got to be God. It's got to be God. The only one that's going to solve this problem, if Jesus tarries, is God. Simple as that. Is God going to watch out for us, His children? Yes, absolutely He will. You know, we see right now where the church is under such persecution. Not only in this country, but around the world. There's no one in this country that is really, really standing up and speaking for for the Christians that are here. Not even our so-called Christian leaders. I do not see one Christian leader banding together and saying, we're going to gather on the steps of Washington, and we're going to organize this group, we're going to organize this group, we're going to cause a day of, call together a day of prayer. And I don't mean that little day of prayer that they set aside where it's it's just, it's a show. I'm talking about a real spirit-led, full gospel prayer time that we need in this country to bring people together. This nation needs to be prayed for. Amen? Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. Amen? That's the only way that's going to happen. Okay? So rather than trying to get God to accept our plans, rather than getting God to accept our strategies and goals, we ought to strive to understand His way his way is the way is the way of victory. You see, and the only way that we can understand God's way is through what? Is by imagining what it is that God would have for us to do. You see, you see, you see. We always are, are, are looking for the for the concrete thing to um, to bolster our faith. Okay, show me. You know, you know, okay, Lord, you said I'm going to get this new position, okay, Lord, you know, you know, put me in, in the office where the plans are. Let me be a fly on the wall so I can overhear what they're going to say about me, okay, and then hoping that you'll hear a positive thing said about you. Then you walk out of there feeling good because you were a fly on the wall and you, but what if God just simply said you're going to get that promotion, or I'm going to send you here, I'm going to send you there, simply knowing that this is what God said, and so if God said he's going to send me there, then guess what, God envisions me being there. God is not going to tell you to do something or to go someplace and not envision you being successful in doing it. Amen? So if God's telling me is to go, to go into the middle of Moscow or something, you know, and say so-and-so to Putin, and I know that God is telling me to do this, then I've got to envision myself sitting in front of that table and, and across from him and saying so-and-so and so-and-so and so-and-so. Amen? Amen? And not looking for some other proof. You know? Can you give me a videotape, you know, of a month forward to see how I made out? Then I'll be okay. You know? No, God doesn't work that way. Unfortunately, this vigilant war for the truth can have and has had collateral damage. Christians dedicated to strengthening the intellect often do not think too highly of the imagination. Okay? People that are dedicated to to strengthening the intellectual side of Christianity, they don't think when you start talking about imagination, they want to poo-poo it. They say, "Uh uh-oh, imagination. Uh Uh-oh, he's going the way of Harry Potter. You know, or that ministry is going the way of some fictitious thing. You know, how how can imagination have anything to to do with Christianity? They feel that if we let the imagination run wild, we risk sacrificing the truth. 
They fear if we let the imagination run wild that we're going to sacrifice the truth. But imagination is not the opposite of reality or the enemy of truth. In fact, we do ourselves an enormous injustice, an enormous disservice when we ignore the imagination, whether it be intentionally or accidentally, and only develop the intellect. Okay? And only develop the intellect. The scribes and the Pharisees heard what Jesus was saying. But they were so well developed intellectually that they could not dare imagine what Jesus, where Jesus was coming from. They didn't dare even go down that path because it just did not fit their, um, didn't fit their, their construct of what, of, what, of what religion, quote unquote, is. To them, anyway. What Jesus was saying was upsetting their whole apple cart. The mere fact that he was saying, I am the Son of God, you know, just was way beyond their imagination. They could not believe to accept that. There was nothing to prove that. This is why the whole time that Jesus was here, they kept trying to throw trick questions at him. Do this, do that, do this, you know. If you're the Son of so-and-so, come down from that cross and do this. They could not even imagine what their future was going to behold. They could not imagine what was going to be happening three days hence from the time that he was on that, on that, on that cross. Even though he told them. You see? So imagination, to those that want to be so intellectually Christian, uh, the imagination is a threat. Because it's taking you where? It's taking you into God's realm. Okay? It's taking you into God's realm. The intellect is only half the equation. Imagination is the partner of the intellect. One is not more important than the other. They do different things. But because we have neglected the imagination, it deserves our special attention now. The dictionary defines imagination as the faculty or action of forming new ideas or images or concepts of external objects not present to the senses. Okay? Okay? Big fancy words. The dictionary defines imagination as the faculty or action of forming new ideas or images or concepts of external objects not present to the senses. Okay? So imagination would be that if I said, oh, um, you know, I've got this red Ferrari that I'm going to drive home in when I leave this service. There's nothing here physical with our senses to prove that. Okay, because we don't see a red Ferrari in the church parking lot. Amen. So obviously it would be some imagination it would take to get me to drive home in that. All right. But that's what imagine. Imagination is, is envisioning something that is not, not, not readily there in our sight. You see, but there's a scripture, however, that says that we should what? Walk by faith and not by sight. Okay. Okay, all right? So if for some reason God told me, and you heard God say that you have to leave here, Michael, after service, and get in that red Ferrari, and I want you to go on a mission to do so-and-so and so-and-so on Lancaster Drive, and you don't see a red Ferrari out there, I walk by faith and not by sight. So that means that if I know that God is telling me that I'm going to drive to, to Lancaster in a red Ferrari and no one sees one out there, I start on that journey towards that door because God said that I'm going to go there in a red Ferrari. So while it is not there, it's not, it's not something that is evident to our senses, something that we can see, smell, touch, or hear, okay, without the imagination kicking in, then you, it's hard for you as a Christian to find faith 
You see, because it takes me into a realm where there is no physical proof of that, but I have to believe what God says. We walk by faith, not by sight. However, now, just be clear now, when I'm talking about imagination, as I started saying when I was opening here, that we're not talking about new age imagining and visualization techniques that are taught, that are taught to meditate and visualize things into existence. These techniques are absent God and should be stayed away from. This is where they talk about you sit down and you, I don't know, you know, stare into a glass of water or stare at a, at a spiral, spinning spiral or something, and just imagine that red Ferrari, imagine that red Ferrari, and then one day you'll have that red Ferrari. We're not talking about that. Because nothing in that New Age philosophy and belief concerning imagination and visual and visualization says anything at all about God. Alright, it's strictly demonic. We are accustomed to trusting our senses to tell us what is true. Amen? We are accustomed to trusting our senses to tell us what is true. It is true, for example, that rocks break windows. How many of you know that? Right? Rocks break windows. Someone told me one time when I saw a rock thrown at a glass with that it would break. It wasn't me. Okay? But I know for a fact that rocks break windows, okay? And how do I know? Because we've seen rocks break windows before. For many people, especially non-believers, the deciding factor of truth is their experience. They say that only what I have perceived, only what I perceive and can perceive with my senses can be trusted and therefore true. Okay? So if I can't perceive it with my senses, then it can't be true. So you can stand there poised with a rock at a glass window and say that this rock is going to break the window. But to a non-believer in this context, well, I don't know that. I don't know that. Because I've never seen a rock break a window before. So to their senses, it's impossible that that rock could break the window. And they won't believe that the rock can break the window until what? Until you actually throw the, the rock at the window and it breaks. Then they believe it. You see? You see? You see? This rules out. Things like creation, the incarnation, and the resurrection. Imagination offers a broader perspective of truth. Imagination lets us experience and understand and believe something that is beyond our experience. All right, go to Genesis 1. Okay? Go to Genesis 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, just reading that, I won't go through the whole, going through the whole uh, uh, chapter of Genesis, but even the events accounted there of of the creation. Okay? Now, has anyone ever seen that? No one has actually seen the creation. But through reading the Word of God and with your imagination, I know many times I've meditated and thought about these words, I can just kind of draw up an imagination of how God was there just doing this wondrous work. You see? So imagination and my imagining that and, and kind of picturing how God may have done that. I mean, can you imagine what that sight must have looked like, you see? But it is through, it is through faith 
not without proof, because no man can prove that in terms of actually, this is how God actually did it, okay? But it is through the faith that you have in God that you believe that this is how God created the world, created the universe for that matter. Amen? Amen? You see, so the imagination, without imagination, the capacity to visualize or to be confident in or hopeful of a reality that contradicts or goes beyond our experience is hard for us to, to do. If you can't use your imagination in understanding some of the real powerful things of God's word, the truths of God's word, okay, then that hinders you from believing it. You see, because if if, if you're looking for some hard proof for things that are written in the word of God, God might not have provided them to you in terms of hard proof. So this is where your faith has to come into playing, linked with your imagination. What imagination refuses to let our senses determine the limits of what is possible. Alright? Imagination refuses to let our, our, our senses limit what is... If, if, you, if you go by your senses, rely only on your senses, it's going to put limitations on what you can believe. That's what I'm trying to say here, alright? Okay? If you're looking at what God is saying, and then you go by your senses to believe and understand what God is saying, without using your imagination to take that leap of faith, it'll be impossible for you to get there. Alright? Because you're going to be looking for hard proof. You follow what I'm saying there? This is why faith is an act of the imagination. Faith requires us to envision and inhabit a world that we cannot perceive with our senses. Alright? Faith requires us to envision and imagine a world that, that, uh, that we cannot perceive with our senses. A world where an invisible God lovingly maintains his creation, where the Son of God became a human child, died on a cross to save sinners, and is seated at the right hand of God in glory, and a Holy Spirit that cannot be seen, seen but comforts and advises us. Right? Now I bet you dollars to donuts that if I asked everyone sitting here today, do you believe in Holy Spirit? Do you believe that Holy Spirit guides you and gives you directions? All right, dollars to donuts, most likely every single one of you would nod their heads and saying yes. Okay? And when I say to you, can you give me some tangible proof that I can touch to prove that point? Then you can't. I'm talking about give me some tangible proof. Now you can go back and you can tell me about all the times that the Holy Spirit guided you and you followed him. And the results were very, very positive. You know, things happened that really were outside of man. Just wondrous things happened. All right? But if I asked you to give me some tangible proof, something I could put my hands on, okay, you would not be able to do that. Okay, you see, so even there you are using, when you, you heard Holy Spirit, you, you let your imagination just perceive and believe what Holy Spirit is saying. Okay, if you didn't have that imagination linked with your faith, you would shut it down. You would say, that's not the Holy Spirit talking to me. This is the Holy Spirit. That's gas. Something, something, that's not the Holy Spirit. And, you know, you'd be saying something else, but you, you know, no, that, that, that's impossible. That's impossible. How many things do we miss out on? Even as children of God, because we lock it out as being impossible, because we can't explain it. Or there is nothing within my, there's nothing within my um, five senses vocabulary that explains this. Do you understand what I'm saying? Okay, this is why I've seen some Christians get nervous when you start talking about the real deep things of God. I've seen and I've known some Christians that are really loving the Lord and they're wanting to move forward. 
Okay? And as they start progressing, and they start understanding God more, and then God is now wanting to really take them to the next deeper level, where they're actually getting involved into the quote-unquote the supernatural things of God, many Christians become frightened. Okay? Because they try and envision themselves operating in that realm that they can't understand. Okay, because there's nothing, um, there's no instruction manual exactly that can tell you how to leap there. Okay, you see, but but God wants all of us to bring, to, to come to that place where he is on a deep spiritual relationship with us. Many people, in other words, many people are quite comfortable in, in going to church. Singing a few songs, listening to the message, putting in their tithes and offerings, and then going home. Maybe reading the scriptures for 20 minutes a day or whatever it might be, okay? But when God starts tugging at their hearts, and they start feeling like, there's something deeper I need here. There's something more. There's something more to this. This is Holy Spirit wooing you. This is Holy Spirit wooing you to bring you into a deeper relationship with Him. And I've known many Christians that when they start getting there, they tend to pull back. They tend to pull back and they run the other way. Okay, okay. And hence, hence and this is why I say, and I, I won't say all, but this is, this, is, this is why many, many full gospel, heavy spirit filled Christians, the attendance is much lower than you find in the super mega, mega, mega churches where they very, very rarely ever get to the deep, deep spiritual things of God. Where you're walking into a place here where things are beyond your, 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 your intellectual worshiping. Where everything that you do during the service can be put in a little box, can be measured, can be tested, and can be replicated, can be replicated on will, okay? We have Communion Sunday around the first Sunday of each month. That can be done every single month, okay? There's no, no big deal to that. You just simply do it. This is a human thing of deciding to do it. When it comes down to some of the deep things that have manifested in terms of on the laying on of hands during a healing and prayer line, they're laying on through the word of knowledge that comes forth, through a word of wisdom that comes through, through a prophecy that comes forth. That cannot be, be duplicated or replicated, okay? At least not if it's God, because man can't do that by will or, or on his predicted time frame. This is where God is getting in and, and, and he's intervening into to the, the affairs of man and he's stepping in there and he's saying I'm in charge but in order for that to happen you've got to let God and welcome God to be there amen amen so wanting to use your imagination quote unquote to get into the deeper spiritual things is critical to have it as a co-partner with your faith okay because lacking that you will limit yourself to what you think God can do because it's so outside of what you can see smell taste or touch Okay? And the things of God, the deep things of God are outside of those things. Walk by faith and not by sight. Because your five senses will not ever let you really, really, really understand what God is all about. Okay? It's so far outside of that. You see? You see? You see? So this whole thing with God, with the imagination on, on that train and looking at, at what was there and, 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 and what it hit me that when God created the, the earth and whatnot, I mean, He imagined in His heart, in His heart, let this be. Let this come into existence. Amen? Amen? So we need to see and think the way God thinks. Right? Not to think now that you're going to go riding on a train and create the, the Rockies. Amen? And then relative to your life, don't limit yourself based on what you can see, touch, smell, and hear. Okay? Alright? Imagination must be applied to the things you are praying for and expecting from God. 
You must imagine that what you are praying for has indeed materialized in the natural without evidence of it being there. Okay? This is where the imagination is. Alright? Okay? The, the, the World Trade Center, the one that was bombed, and any, well, any tall, beautiful skyscraper or physical monument that's out there, at one point, where did it come from? It came from the imagination of a man. Someone sat down with drafting tools at a drafting table or, and envisioned looking out there, you know. I remember even the history of Las Vegas, you know. Okay, it was Bugsy Siegel, I think, if I remember right. The mafia guy, you know, that crook. He stood there looking at that desert back there, that vast desert, and stood there and said, I'm going to build. This is going to be a booming town, a booming city. So at some place it was in the imagination of a man. Imagine the imagination of God. And imagine what you can tap into them if you can stand there or sit there or lie there when God is speaking to you and says that I'm going to take you and pick you up out of this current environment and I'm going to move you over here. And you can just sit back and imagine that happening. Okay? Now even then your imagination may not show you every single little detail, but you can imagine that yes, God is going to make this happen. Okay? You don't need to be like Gideon to run down there and to hear what somebody else is saying to confirm to you what God is saying. Amen? Amen? So, 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 so lack of that can, can, hinder, can hinder your, your faith experience. Um, from beginning to end, the Bible calls us to adopt a sanctified imagination that helps us look beyond our physical experience. When the biblical writers call us to faith, they are calling us to reject the view of the world as unbelievers view it, and instead foster an active imagination that can see what God sees. You see, the world looks at a very limited view of what's going on. Unbelievers have a very, very limited view. All right? We as Christians need to start looking at things as God sees them. When the prophets look around them, they, 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 they experienced and what they saw was injustice, sin, and unrighteousness. But they did not respond with despair. For non-believers, the response to this sort of experience is despair. Okay? In other words, when the prophets looked around the world, I mean, countless times you see in Scripture they talk about, Oh, Lord, when are you going to let these uh, do something about this injustice and, and all of this and whatnot? But yet still they did not despair. When a non-believer sees that kind of injustice going on, they wind up getting into a state of despair because they don't know God. Alright? If we go to Psalms 37, turn to Psalms 37. You see? A non-believer does not have God to um, does not have God to fall back on to run to when things are looking terrible and and horrible around them. You know, you, you know, they, they start worrying about it because someone else is is doing things and and they seem to be prospering. You know, you know, if you look around again, back on the political scene, how many of the people that we see that constantly contradict themselves, we know that they're liars and so forth, and they just prosper, prosper, prosper. Amen? They prosper, all right, all right. To the non-believer, that can put you in a state of despair. To someone that doesn't know God, when you see someone that's a non-believer, you see someone that's a blatant liar, you see someone that's a sinner, that is just prospering, you know, they wind up getting so upset about it. We as Christians, we don't go there. Amen? Because our imaginations can take us to a different place in faith. 37 verse 1. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou uh, envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass, and wither like the green herb. 
trust in the Lord and do good. So shalt thou dwell in the land, and verily thou shalt be fed. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of your heart. Commit your way unto the Lord, trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth your righteousness as the light, and your justice as the noonday. Rest in the Lord, and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself in any way to do evil. For evil evil doers shall be cut off, but those who wait upon the Lord shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall not be. Yea, thou shalt diligently consider his place, and it shall not be. But the meek shall inherit the earth, and shall delight thyself in the abundance of peace. Now, talking about about imagining and what's what's available to your five senses, you can look around and you can see how the so-called evildoer just seems to get away with murder. Okay? But God is saying that the meek shall inherit the earth. And you may sit there and say, well, gee whiz, how is that going to be so? The country's going down, down the hill and, you know, down and sliding downwards like crazy. How is that going to be so? Amen? Well, the imagination says, well, I got to see things the way God sees. God says that the meek shall inherit the earth. Now, right now, it's hard for you to imagine the meek inheriting the earth. <laughs> Amen? 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 But we can't limit ourselves because if you limit yourselves, then you wind up falling into despair like those people that are non-believers because they cannot imagine to have faith in what God is saying is going to be the case. You see? You see? You see? So if you limit your, 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 your thinking to what your five senses tell you, you know, you say, gee whiz, you know, they did exit polls. They had, they had focus groups. They did this, they did that. Surely so-and-so is going to win, you know. We need to focus on what God is going to do. Because that is so far outside of anything that we can really, 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 really control. You see, so we know that God is saying here that the meek shall inherit the earth. And God says, fret not yourself because of evildoers. Someone says, you will give this every single reason that you should fret. and say, no, there isn't. Why? Because this is what God said. This is what God says. So my faith and my innate imagination take you to the other place. A- amen. The prophets call the people and us to hope. A constant call of the prophets is a summons to imagine a godly future when God's faithful people will experience the deliverance and blessings that they have hoped for uh, uh, against all intellectual experience. Amen? So we don't let the intellectual experience guide us in trusting or believing God. See? Now, now this, this is a radical new message. It requires a godly imagination that can form images or concepts of objects or conditions that are not present to the senses. And imagine Imagination shaped by truth that God is a loving creator who is deeply connected to his people and works tirelessly for their good. You have to believe that. Okay, you have to believe that. You have to use your, your imagination and your faith to know that God is there tirelessly working for you, for you personally. How often do you imagine what God has said to be able to be manifest in your life? Things that you're praying for, things that you're hoping for. How many times have you sat down and imagined that these things are going to pass? Or that these things have come to pass in your life? You you see? Or are you sitting there still trying to figure out how this is going to happen? God says, I'm going to send you to Chicago to do so-and-so and so-and-so. And And you sit there and you're trying to figure out how this is going to happen. Well, i got to get a plane ticket. The plane tickets are $20,000 or whatever. You know, gee, I don't have that kind of money in the bank. And you sit there trying to figure out how this is going to happen. Instead of you sitting there imagining that God said you're going to Chicago and that God's going to get me there. Coupled with your faith, bringing it to pass. 
The prophets call us to share this vision, and they do so through scriptures by showing us a world that contradicts our experience, because it exists only in the mind of God until that time comes where our prayer or need is answered in the natural. Okay? So if you can imagine that what God is telling you is going to happen to you or what you're praying for, it it, it only exists in the mind of God. Okay, until the time that it actually manifests in the natural, in your life. Okay, this is what you have to hang on to and you have to believe. Yes, so let your imagination go and understand what God is imagining for your, for your life or thinking. Jesus calls us to an even more demanding act of imagination. He stood in the line of the prophets, but he radicalized their message. Go to Mark 1. Mark 1. Mark chapter 1. We're winding down in a bit here. Mark 1. And go to verse number 9. And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And, and straight away coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opened and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And immediately the Spirit dri- driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness forty days, tested by Satan, and was with the wild beasts, and the angels ministered unto him. Now after John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now listen to this, verse 15. And saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. The prophet said that the day is coming. Jesus changed the tense and he said that the day has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. You see? So while the prophets were saying that these things were going to happen, Jesus said, well, guess what? The time is now. The world that the prophets had envisioned is no longer a future reality. It is happening right here and right now. You see? But we as Christians, we often do not think about that. Jesus said that the kingdom of God is right here at hand. We do not sit and imagine what that really, really means. Alright? Means that everything that, what Jesus, the work that Jesus did at the cross is past, is done with. Okay? There's no more of that hoping for certain things because it's already been done. It's been accomplished. Amen? Amen? So it's at hand right now. Jesus invites his followers, us, to imagine that the kingdom of God is indeed at hand and with it have come all of those promises. A statement like, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth, takes considerable imagination to believe. But if you believe that the kingdom of God is now and that Jesus says it's done, then that means that it's done. You see? So the things that Jesus has prophesied to happen, the kingdom of God is at hand, it's here now. You see, but why we don't experience it is because many times we restrict our imaginations because we can't put our hands on it. You understand what I'm saying? There's no physical proof to us that this thing exists. You see? So imagining and trusting God takes us to the very, very next level. If you go to John 20, go to John real quickly here. John, big John. I'm giving you several illustrations here. You know, the, the whole point of imagination and faith is, is really hard to get across in terms of, of how this could be hindering you from realizing and, and profiting from what God has in store for you. You know, unless you can really open your mind to, to, to think about what you might be missing out on. 
by simply not 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 letting your mind go where God uh, wants it to go. Uh, verse number. What did I say? John 20, verse number 25. No, I go to 24. 20, verse 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see uh, in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Okay? So please in the line where it says there, um, Unless I see, except I, I see, except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my fingers into the print of his nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Verse 26. And after eight days again his disciples were inside, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach here thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach here thy hand, and thrust it into my side. And be not faithless, but believing. Please in the line, be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Underline. Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed, underline blessed, are those that have not seen, underline, have not seen and yet believe. Underline. Okay? So the only way that Thomas believed him was because of the fact that he could actually touch him. See, now that goes right back to the rock in the window kind of thing. Okay? Jesus said, though, blessed are those that can believe without seeing. You see? So without the imagination here that, and, and the faith that, that, that Jesus had indeed shown up, the disciples had told Thomas that Jesus was here, but no, not him. You know, no, 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 I got to see it. I got to touch it for myself. If you are doing that same thing in your life, if you've got that same attitude about things happening in your life, then you are indeed limiting yourself and it's limiting your faith. Limiting your faith. If God said that something is going to happen in your, in your life, you're praying for something that is in line with God's word. God said that it's going to be. Do not limit it by saying, God, I will believe it when I see some tangible proof that so-and-so is going to happen. That you give me step-by-step proof that so-and-so is going to happen. Amen, amen. This is being, and you know that this Thomas is where that expression, are you a doubting Thomas? That's where that expression came from. Amen, from this, from this Thomas here. Okay, blessed are those who believe without seeing. You see, so again, it goes back to the imagination. The apostle Thomas lacked imagination. The other apostles had seen the risen Lord and they told him so. But Thomas only trusted his own physical experience. Unless I see the nails, marks in thy hands, etc., etc. Jesus rebuked Thomas and in doing so tells us that those who trust the testimony of Scripture through faith, enabled by a sanctified imagination, can understand why Jesus said, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those that have not seen and yet have, yet have believed. More often than not, Jesus talked about the kingdom of God in a way that aroused the imagination. We tend to think that if we simply believe the right things, then we'll behave the right way. Right? We tend to think that if we believe the right things, that then we will behave the right way. But Jesus knew better. He knew that touching the imagination means, means penetrating beyond the intellect and pricking the conscience. 
Okay? It means, means that believing that, going beyond that, if I go to church every Sunday and if I give on Sunday, then so and so and so is going to happen and then all, all is good. If reason changes your minds, the imagination changes our hearts. Okay? Reasoning is what we do. Reason is what you do when you sit down and you think about something. You're thinking it through and you're thinking it through. Maybe you build a pro, a pro and con and you go through all of that, you know, uh, and you figure out the pluses and the minuses, okay? That helps the intellect, okay? The imagination changes your heart or your spirit. It helps us feel the truth, not just know it. Helps us to feel the truth, not just know it. We can know full well what we ought to do, but touching the imagination can inspire us with a vision of God's reality that will compel us to act. Right? One of the things that I said at uh, my, my mother-in-law's um, celebration of life service was that uh, um, uh, while she was not one that went around always spouting off scriptures, she knew scripture. And she believed it deep within her spirit. Okay? For her, it went beyond an intellectual capacity and understanding of God. It was something that she just knew that she knew that she knew. Amen. Amen. When she was calling for Jesus, she didn't. What well, she wasn't laying there saying, "Now, how's this going to work? If I'm calling in for Jesus, he's going to come by cab. He's going to walk through the door with the doctor. I mean, she just simply knew that if she called on Jesus, that at some point Jesus was going to respond. Okay. Okay. Now, this this is is not believing with the intellect. It's believing with the imagination and with your faith and with your heart and with your spirit. When you get to that point. The things of God is reality, our reality. The things of God are more real than the so-called real things that we exist in the three-dimensional physical world. Okay? So it gets us to the point of knowing that we know that we know. Okay? Touching the imagination can inspire us with a vision of God's reality that will compel us to act. So how do we strengthen our imaginations? One of the best ways to develop, is to develop a biblical imagination is to spend time dwelling in the scriptures. This requires more than reading a few verses a day. It is a lifelong habit of meditating on the stories and the events of God's creation, redemption, and new creation. Okay? If you really want to get to the point that you can trust things that are outside of your, your five senses, outside of what you see in this so-called real world and really understand uh, what it is to imagine and have faith in God's word it takes a lot more than reading a few biblical verses per day it takes some time with you with you being real about it and meditating on what you, what you read maybe doing some cross-referencing when you see a footnote in the Bible you know and, and there's a cross-reference to another chapter or, or verse to do that okay it, it takes time slow meditative reading can help internalize the Bible's message in our hearts in this way, over a lifetime, we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind, you see. And you'll see it coming on as a gradual thing. You don't have to wait to say, okay, well, if I start today, by the time I reach 57, I'll have it down, pat. Oh, no, no, no. All right? You'll find that as you're starting to do this, things will begin to make sense to you more and more. You'll find that when challenges come up in your life, and then you, you remember here, well, I'm not going to go by what I see in front of me. I'm not going to go by what my bank account says or by what the job says or the real estate market says. I'm going to go by because I know that I've prayed to, to this for God. I've prayed to God for this. It's in line with his word. I know that God wants the best for me so I can envision myself here. I can envision myself there. I can envision this thing happening. Amen. Then we will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Eventually, when our imaginations are trained by God's word, we will be able to perceive with our senses what we know to be true by faith. 
Okay? Alright, eventually when our imaginations are trained by God's word, we will be able to perceive with our five senses what we know to be true by faith. So in other words, what was, is that after you're into this for a while, things will become more apparent to you on the physical level, okay, alright, that you know to be true by faith. Alright? So the things that you've read in scripture that you are taking for granted by faith because you're simply trusting God, it will become more real to you, to your five senses. In this way, a biblical imagination can ultimately and eventually alter your experience. To offer only one example of this, the American theologian Jonathan Edwards believed God had built into nature clues about the deep themes of scripture, including salvation, sanctification, the futility of the law, and the beauty of grace. What he saw was that in the butterfly, an image of the burial and resurrection of Jesus. So what I'm saying is that as you're reading the word of God, you'll be looking at things that are in the natural and you'll start equating them with what the word of God is saying. What he saw there was that a butterfly, looking at a butterfly, he sees that this is actually support for the whole concept of of death, burial, and resurrection. The butterfly goes into the cocoon, or the, the, the caterpillar goes into the cocoon, is wrapped up, buried, so to speak, and then over time it emerges, it's resurrected, a whole new creature, a whole new creation. So here this man is saying that he could see through physical things, he could see the spiritual things, what God is telling us about the resurrection. Amen? Amen. He also saw, saw as the sunrise, you know, the, the eclipse or the downing of the law to be replaced by grace. And looking at a spider web, he said he could see the craftiness of Satan. You see? You see? You see? So what, what, what he is saying here, and through this whole message of imaging, imagining, is that as you're getting into the Word of God and you're studying more and more and you're, and you're meditating on the Word of God, you will see in understanding the spiritual side, understanding God's mind, you will beginning to see those things manifest in the physical things. Okay? Instead of being the other way around. You want a physical thing to back up and confirm the faith thing. Okay? You get what I'm saying? In short, our problem in summary here, our short... In short, our problem is not an overactive imagination. The real threat is a lack of imagination or an imagination that is stunted or misshaped because you look at it through your experience. Through scripture, we can develop a hearty imagination that will help us believe and embody the gospel of Christ in our day-to-day lives. Okay? So in other words... You know, in, in the bottom line is that the more you can build your imagination to think like or to see God and imagine things as God see them, sees them, then you won't limit yourself in terms of your faith. If you let your faith be limited by um, not being able to imagine God's mind, then that means that you're going to be saying, you know, how is it that I'm going to get to Chicago or Florida or Maine? How is it that this is going to come to pass? I don't see any evidence of that. So you're limiting your imagination in terms of what God can, can do for you, and therefore you're limiting your faith. All right? Always remember the doubting Thomas. That Thomas said, you know, I, I won't believe it until I can see it or touch it. Well, if you constantly say that, then you're not going to believe the many things that God may have in store for you. Amen? 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 It's all about you imagining how is God seeing this. You know, let me close my eyes. God actually sees me in that location. God actually sees me in that house. I can see me in that house. I can, I can envision that, you know? You see? And, and, and way before... Way before even this, I remember back, and some of you have heard us uh, speak of it, um, the church that we were in, and there were many of us that were looking for houses, first time and so forth like that, and, and the pastor, who was a very, very gifted man, um, Holy Spirit-wise, um, he said that on a particular Sunday, so many weeks in advance, 
Uh, I want all of you that are praying for houses to actually draw up what you want those houses to look like. And don't have to hire an artist to do it, but just sketch it out the best way that you can. And then on Sunday, the so-and-so date, you know, I want you all to bring them to church. And on that particular Sunday, everyone showed up with rolls of paper with their plans that they wanted for the house. And during that time, he had had one of the carpenters in the ministry there actually build a little, little like, doorway and threshold. And on one side of it, he had, a, a, like, a wicker basket. He said, I want everyone to bring up with those plans, and I want you to walk through this, this, this uh, threshold and put your plans in this wicker basket and say that you're committing these plans to God because this is what you envision, what you imagine your house to look like. Okay? And lo and behold, I kid you not, we were our first house, first house, and we had drawn up some plans and sketches it. And lo and behold, the first house that we had was exactly like what we had sketched, how we wanted the bedrooms to be located up on the second level, overlooking the living room and so on like that. It was exactly like we had sketched it, you see, because we dared imagine that what Pastor was saying, based on the word of God, indeed, indeed could be made manifest in our physical lives, you see. We didn't stand there and say, that does not make sense, you know, prove to me that by me drawing these plans and walking through this doorway, putting them in this basket, prove to me how that's going to have anything to do with my getting this house, you see, but we do that so many times in our Christian lives, we put handcuffs on God, God is sovereign, he can do anything that he wants, but being that God put the rules in place, God cannot violate what he has put in place. So that means that if we don't have faith in him, then that means that we, we put handcuffs on God. And God cannot operate in our lives. Amen? So don't limit your imagination to in terms of what God, what God wants you to do or has in store for you. Because then all you're doing is you're limiting your faith. Amen? Amen? I pray this message has been a blessing to you. And now, before we close, let us honor God with our tithes and offerings.